Welcome back. You're listening to Tide Smart Talk with Steve-O, News Talk WLOB, 1310 AM and now 100.5. Emily, you're too young to remember Green Acres, but that was uh, an early staple of my television diet. Great show. And it's the theme music for our guest, Bill Green. Have you ever been introduced to uh, Green Acres? No, I have not. But it brought back happy memories, uh, Eddie. Albert? Yeah. And was it Zsa Zsa or I can never, Ava? It, it never even mattered because it was something Zsa Zsa was doing and then Ava was doing, they were almost interchangeable. Yep. They were both beautiful women who wore, they they weren't hot, sexy kind of things. I think they were, but they wore like housewife dresses of and looked course. really pretty with coiffed hair. Oh, I remember. Those, yeah. were the, those were the glory days of television when there were three networks, Putch Plus PBS. It was all black and white. And uh, Beverly Hillbillies, Green Acres, Andy Griffith Show. Yep. Uh, I grew up on that stuff. Absolutely. Wow. And you wonder sometimes, like we actually run, as you know, right. uh, Mayberry. What's what's the uh, Andy Griffith Show? Yeah. And we have it on from 2 to 3 in the afternoon. It's in black and white. What are we doing? And um, But you look at it, it's so simple and so pleasant and so uncomplicated. Aunt B. That you wonder, you know, maybe some of the stuff we're running now is too complicated, too. I know, Steve. I agree. Well, let me do the proper introduction again. We have Bill Green here. He is a producer and host of Bill Green's Maine. He's also a staple here in Maine, not only as uh, uh, one of the leading broadcast professionals over a period of decades, but he's involved with many, many charities, civic organizations. I know firsthand that whenever I've called Bill to invite him to come to a community event, uh, he is, uh, whenever he's available, he participates. So thanks for being here, Bill. My pleasure. But you're Steve-O. You got juice. I got to go. Steve-O calls. You got to go. Right, Emily? Right, yeah. Emily's the producer doing all the work. Yeah, she does all the work. That's right. She picks out the music. (laughs) I I am uh, what is loosely uh, described as the talent. And as you know better than anyone, that's a joke when it comes to me. I just sit here and kind of read off pieces of paper. I'm equally loose. That's funny. (laughs) We got a lot to cover here. Thanks for coming. Um, First of all, I wanted to congratulate you just this past week. Uh, You won something that is, let me make sure I get this description right, the Emmy Silver Circle Award. And it was bestowed upon you by the National Academy of Television Arts and Science, better known as the Emmy Organization. I think it was a regional award. Mm-hmm. But for your 44 years of reporting in Maine, you won the Silver Circle Award. Congratulations! Thank you, Steve. Think of that, huh? Yeah, it was it was it a big it was a big gala ceremony listed here just last week down in Boston. Yep, about a hundred people. A lot of people in the Silver Circle showed up. So some of the names. In regional television, like uh, well-known Boston anchors were there and stuff. But I'm trying to think who who do you, you remember any any of the people there? Because I Natalie, grew up in Boston. Natalie Jacobson. Oh, Chet um, Curtis. She was married to Chet Curtis. Yeah, people like that were there, and and now I can only remember them like by body types and stuff. But, yeah. You know, well-known anchors and things. I I recognize them, but I I didn't know them, and they didn't know me, so it was awkward. There was a guy from Providence. Who was like an Italian Pat Callahan. His name's like Gino Valicenti. And I, I, I'm not sure. I chatted with him briefly and I, I told the guy, you know, I'd like to sit down and have a beer with you sometime. And I'm sure we have a million similar stories of standing in snow and rain and snow banks and getting up early. And, you know, but there was a uh, guy that did documentaries out of Connecticut. Wow. Me and three people from Boston. When, when you're around long enough, and I think you and I are both in that category. You just, after a amount of time, like names and events all kind of connect. Natalie Jacobson, uh, Channel 5, which was, I don't even know if it's still the ABC affiliate or which network they're the affiliate I don't of. even know them now either. But uh, based, based in Needham, mm-hmm. right off of 128, where I grew up, and when I was 18 years old, I sold a script to Channel 5. Timothy Johnson was doing the health thing. Dr. Timothy Johnson. Yeah, and I, I sold the script on circadian rhythms. No Which kidding. is uh, 
kind of uh, uh, it's the physiological element of how sleep and food and light are you affected by what what is it total darkness syndrome what what is it no i was affected by i wanted to write tv yeah i was affected by i didn't think anyone was going to buy the script and i sent it in and they sent me a check unbelievable it was like magic (laughs) and so so what a small world after a while you know Names get mentioned before you know it. It's like, I know that person. Talking about circadian rhythms? Yeah. I want us to go on Atlantic Savings Time. Everybody get their thinking caps on. If you're driving now, pay attention. Right. I want to go to Atlantic Saving Time from May 10th to August 10th. So we would spring ahead twice. We would invent in the summer what I want to call Atlantic Saving Time or Vacation Saving Time. The clock would set at 920. Really? Or the sun would set at 9.20? Is that, I didn't say that. The clock, the sun, doesn't oh, yeah, matter. The, sun was set the at clock nine. can set, too. It doesn't matter. So we'd have an extra hour of light in the evening, and rather than it being light at 4 a.m. in the summer, to walk or play golf or right. garden. And I'm going to actually do that campaign when I retire. Why can't well, you can get that done? You're Bill Green. I'd like to. That's the one gift. I. That's the one political cause I'm going to fight for in my life. I'm going to go out. And campaign for okay. I, I'm going to support Are you. In yours. On this, Steve? I'm going to tell you my cause, okay? okay? And maybe we can make a difference here. We have Bill Green in the studio, obviously from Bill Green's Maine Channel Six NBC affiliate here. Um, much like you, I'm, I'm interested in time and efficiency and productivity, and I, and I like your idea of, uh, of the time change. My pet peeve is. We have federal holidays, we have state holidays, we have all kinds of different holidays, right? Mm-hmm. And so in a global economy, the whole idea that some communities and state we don't have synchronous holidays. And as a business, and as a business owner for me, uh, I would like to propose that there is a common set of holidays, whether it's 10 or 12 or 13, whatever it is. But when we have Patriots Day or Washington's okay. Day or Columbus Day, some holidays, banks are closed. Some holidays, schools right. closed. Some holidays, federal offices recognize. And mm. by the time you put together the hodgepodge of holidays, and then you throw in for uh, families that have daycare, where daycare centers close. And for our Don't company, get me started on daycares. Oh, boy. It snows and they close. It snows, they're supposed to open. I know. That's when you need daycare. <laughs> you know, okay. So I want to come up with one set of holidays. So... The banks, the stores, everything's open on certain days because we can't compete globally if we're losing so much productivity because there are days of the year where my company can't function. We can't so go to the bank. We can't talk to – You're a federalist. I, I'm kind of a pragmatist, and okay. I think that from an economic standpoint, because that's what many of these holidays are mostly tied to, yep. uh, the, the economic impact of productivity and banking and education. So get rid of Patriot's Day. Well, see you, Paul Revere. Well, you know, well, who would say that to Paul Revere? But it's not necessarily get rid of it. Just come up with, you know, in, in other parts of the world, they may have four or five holidays or they may have two-month vacations. It doesn't matter. As long as we're all rowing in the same direction. But you can't have some states recognizing days because then adjacent states that work with them, it all of a sudden they can't do a lot of their work because labor force is, is ours. So is my Atlantic saving time out because we'd be an hour ahead of every other state? No, no, no. We can adjust for that. We can? See, okay. well, are you waffling on supporting my big thing? And I, I, I blindly no, said I, I, I support your more. time change. I want to hear more because uh, Christmas is going to be Christmas. Christmas will always be Christmas. Thanksgiving, we can move. We we said it would be the uh, the fourth Thursday. We can change it to the fourth Monday, but if you want, yeah. Well, with with Thanksgiving, I'd rather keep it. Well, yeah, but when you when you keep Thanksgiving, you lose the Friday, right? Do we really want? And back then, with the Pilgrims, right? Well, it was Lincoln who did this. Well, but but it celebrated the birth of our country. But whoever did it, yes. Back then, Thursday wasn't much different from Friday or Saturday, and it was all local economy based stuff. But now, as the economy is, is, is different, you can't give up a Thursday and a Friday. Now that I think of it, FDR, we were having Thanksgiving on the last Thursday of the month. It became the Christmas shopping period kickoff. So FDR, think of it, moved it up a week so we'd have a longer Christmas period. Wow. And the public didn't like it, so they went to the fourth Thursday. So usually it's the last Thursday, but two out of seven years it's not. Wow. So um, move Thanksgiving to Friday. I like this. Okay, let's do that. And before we do that, I'm going to put Emily on the spot because, you know, 
I'm sure you know the answer of this question, but but uh, we have millennial Emily in the studio. Oh, I don't like that. What year were you born, Emily? 88. Okay. God, I'm wearing socks that are older than... <laughs> seriously, these socks I'm wearing, I think, are older than... I was than, wondering about uh, Yeah, yeah, they, they're a little gamey, but okay, here's the question for Emily, okay? This okay. is the Jeopardy question. Where did the term Black Friday originate from? Ooh. And I bet you Bill Green knows it, but... Because when everyone goes out to shop on the same day, all the stores are in the black. Everyone's making money. Yeah, I think that's a variation. I think it's in, in retail predominantly. Until you got to that day, many stores operate yeah. in the red because of their operating expenses. But that was considered. Is I think you got. I think we give our credit. That's for that. the day they I went above so. zero for the year. Yeah, yeah. when well, operating expenses, and that's where everything Taxes else was were came. paid. Yeah, Black I mean, Friday. From then on, it's black. Because black. because years ago, before computer technology, much of accounting was done with black ink and red ink. And so if you were in the red, you would write a number in a balance book, and it would have red ink. And if you were in the black, you literally used black ink. I had not heard that before. Boy. Stick with us, Emily. So, we'll get you oh, educated. Yeah, we're, we're, you. yeah, boy, for Emily and our I listeners, <laughs> we're, we've, we've, we're talking about time zone changes. We're talking about holiday synchronicity. We're talking about Black Friday. I've got a couple other things. We've got Bill Green here in the, uh, in the studio. So before we leave it, the Silver Circle Award, congratulations. Has uh, anyone else in Maine received the Silver Circle Award? I don't know. A guy in Bangor named George Hill, who's been on, on TV and radio right? since I was a child, got a gold circle for 50 years. Really? Yeah, 50 years in the business. God, if I'm doing Well, that anything... means yours is coming up then, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, see, I've been at it 44 years and got the Silver Circle, so it means I had 19 bad years. Oh. Well, <laughs> that's not true. No, no. Uh, yeah, my, mine will be coming up if I, if I stick it out. Well, fantastic. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about Bill Green's Maine since the last time you were here on the show. Uh, I, I watch every weekend, Thanks. and congratulations, and I would encourage... I, I can't believe anyone listening right now isn't familiar with Bill Green's uh, main, but uh, WCSH, typically, uh, I think on most cable systems, Channel 6 or broadcast yep, systems, six. Channel 6. Yep. And uh, how many weeks a year now do you have uh, original shows and then you repeat some of the, the goodie shows? We do 22 original shows. And they so therefore everything kind of gets repeated once. Plus, once you once you get the show done... It actually doesn't exist anymore because it's digital. It's just right. in a computer somewhere. But we do have a, a, a row of shows, and it becomes – I hate this word, and so I wanted to share it with you. It becomes inventory. And so if they have a half hour, they'll run it here, they'll run it there. They're running it Saturday mornings at 8 and 8.30, depending upon what they have for availability. God, so, I, don't like, know, I don't like the sound of Bill Green's main being inventory. Inventory, that's they, an insult. They are precious gems. Yeah, that's right. They yeah. are. They should not be considered inventory. Inventory, you know, so they, they throw one on here and there. And I worry about uh, repeats because, you know, I work hard to do 22 shows. Right. A lot of shows, a season is 13 weeks. And so, you know, we're, we're running a lot of Bill Green's main, uh, three or four times a week. Can, can I can I give you an idea for an sure. interview for Bill Green's Maine? Yes. I had somebody, in, in terms of, I think we've been doing the show three or four years, and we've got like 170 or some number in the wow. in the can. Our inventory, much right. less. Uh, in the can, so much more part of the business. Yeah, it's in a computer chip somewhere, right. really. This is show 194. Oh, wow. excellent. That's a special number. So. I grew up in Boston reading the Boston Globe, sure. right? Back in back when newspapers carried um, weight, you know, integrity, <laughs> weight, it, you know, back yep. when 60 Minutes sure. and, you know, Mike Wallace and Morley, when they said something about the Panama Canal, you just looked at it and went, yeah, that makes sense because mm. these guys said, so the, for my case, the Boston uh, Globe was also a kind of a paper of record. And 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, there was a columnist that I would read all the time, Ellen Goodman. Oh, sure. And so Ellen Goodman was, and then I wrote briefly for the Needham Times, back, to, right. back to Needham, when I was actually, I think, in high school. And so Ellen Goodman was a, uh, I don't want to say glass ceiling breaker, but when she started writing a column, she was the first major newspaper uh, female columnist in the country. And she started after working, doing copy work, I believe in New York. And then she got hired back to come to the Globe. And she is a Pulitzer Prize sure. winning author. She's written books. 
Um, she lives a few miles from here she, part-time. She's on an island somewhere. She's on an island. Yes. And so six months ago, eight months ago, I'd say to Emily, can we get, I've always said we need to get Stephen King, yep. which is a tough get. I haven't gotten him either. So I've interviewed him. I've met him. I know him kind of. He mentioned me in a book, but I can't get a one-on-one with him. Well, then I don't feel as bad. If Bill, feel Green, bad. If Bill Green can't get a one-on-one. So the other one was, uh, you know, Ellen Goodman. And so a couple months ago, while she was, um, she spends, I think, four or five months up mm-hmm. here with her husband. She lives down outside of Boston most of the time. She came into the studio. How about that? It was unbelievable. Yeah. And I think, you know, as one of, uh, in my mind, one of the, the, the great, uh, you know, champions of journalism, she had a very specific voice in her columns, very real, very human mm-hmm. kind of writing in the first person. Before then, I think much of writing was more, uh, was kind of drier, more pragmatic, even in columns. But there was a whole generation, part of when she came on the scene, where writers started to inject their own personality, their own right. thinking, their own opinion. Right. And that's where a lot of opinion journalism started from. Up until then, it was more, this is what happened on this right. date, or this is the time, or this but is in how our, much... in our era, going back to um, Green Acres, yeah. uh, a columnist was where you got someone's personal opinion. Now I think it's moved over into the editor into the page into the news page. I think that's the big change we've seen in the last five or six seven years. So I ask you, Steve, right. and I do hear your suggestion of Ellen Goodman. Yeah. Did the media lose credibility in this presidential campaign? I was going to ask you the same question, so maybe we can we maybe we can decipher it. Uh, when you say did they lose credibility, I think that there's been a, a decay and a degeneration of their audience over the last decade because of the economics of media that I don't know if there was much of a of a credible audience for them to lose. I think it's I think it's I think it's a smaller and smaller pie. To say did they lose credibility yeah. suggests that at the beginning of the campaign there was some right. reservoir of credibility. I was given as a little, but yeah. I know not well, I don't put you in the category. Yeah, okay, not you're, me personally. You're I, Bill Green. When I tune in to see Bill Green's Maine, and if you tell me that whether it's the people or the places that you, you mm-hmm. visit, if you tell me something's going on with amphibious boats on Sebago and, <laughs> and that the cars were made in Germany and that here's how, I believe it. But I'm not doing issue stuff either very but, much. Yeah. But on the issue stuff, it's a serious question because here we are a few weeks after what was a, and I think what will go down in history as one of the most volatile, disruptive, and one of the most... Outrageous. Outrageous presidential <laughs> campaigns, aside from whatever political side you're on, right? it, it, yep. regardless of who the president-elect is. And when people look back 150 years ago and say there was some presidential campaign where somebody sure. said something bad, yeah, I believe that's true, but it didn't have the global impact. There wasn't the mass media, and there wasn't the consequence. We yep. didn't have nuclear arms. Mm. We didn't have... Yep life and death consequence for millions of people around the globe yep. that are greatly impacted on who leads America and in, in how their policies are formed. So I would argue that there is no precedent for what we went through. There is right. no precedent from where we are right now. And everyone, I think, is looking to assign blame. Is it one party? Did uh, did the media uh, fall asleep? And and I would ask you, because you've worked in media, and I just kind of like play it on TV or play it on radio, I think it can be traced back to when mass media and all of its forms went from, I don't want to say a public utility, but a public service where people look to radio, television, yeah. and print as serving a public good. Right. And for reasons that I don't think we can blame specific people or, or institutions, in the last decade or, or 20 years, it really became um, pressured through the economics and the financial issues where regardless of how much people trust ABC, NBC, CBS, or all the yep. affiliates, the one you work with, or the Boston Globe or the New York Times, or all the online variations – at the end of the day, none of them are, except for PBS possibly, none of them are government supported. And so they all are dependent on some revenue. And the revenue sooner or later corrupts the process because they become more in the business of generating more revenue to self-sustain. And the way many outlets get that attention 
is whether it's clickbait or stories yep. or, or wanting to put things on the air that'll keep viewers as opposed to what viewers should really see. I think that as you were speaking, I don't know if I followed the same line of thinking exactly as you, but one thing that happened was back when we had three stations, we were all, we and we are still, 6, 8, and 13, licensed in the public interest as a public trustee by the FCC. Right. We have requirements about what we say, and if we break those requirements, we can be fined and, worst case, taken off the air. Cable cannot. So when you're looking at CNN, we're on the same TV, we're coming through the True. same cable, but we have a different set of responsibilities than CNN, I don't know, the MSNBC, all of them. Right. And so there's, they're actually operating under a different set of rules. That's and a yet, good point. Yet it all gets blurred as it comes into your home. So, and I, I think that, you know, the, the large networks, uh, I, I think they've done some damage now by taking sides because they don't go back to the fundamental, here's today's question, here's A side, here's B side. We're going, to, we're going to discuss both sides of it and kind of deliver it to you. It yeah. didn't, it, not every story had to be balanced, but the treatment of every story, say, over the course of a month was expected to be balanced, you know, 5, 10, 15 years yeah, ago. Yeah, you'd never really know Walter Concrete's position on something. The news, the, right. you know, the music would cue and he'd say, this is what's happened in right. Vietnam or this is right. what's happened over in Cambodia. Right. Nobody would go, oh, you're, you're Republican, you're Democrat. Right. So I think that's a good point. And the other thing is, I almost, you know, the FCC, especially in the last few years, has been, I don't want to say it's been minimized, but it is, and you'll know this better than I, but the FCC was set up when public airways, both television and radio, were considered um, the licenses. So if to be a television right. station, a broadcast station, you have a license in every few years as a uh, requirement of your license you have to not do certain things, and you have to do certain things, right. whether it's station ID or public emergency broadcasting, right. or if you're on TV to keep your license, you have to have so much news content. And you're right. The cable stations are basically the Wild West. This, but, but this show that we're doing right now, is it, you and I are operating under one set of rules because we are on the radio. We right. are being broadcasted. But I believe this same piece of data goes onto the internet. Right, you're right. Then we can start dropping George Carlin's dirty words because well, I don't even know those words. But you're right. Different set of rules. Uh, but um, if we say something on WLOB, that's right, thirteen ten a.m. or one hundred point five, and uh, somebody records it, and we say something that breaks either the, the kind of the word, the censor right. uh, element. You're right. The FCC would either find the station, right, or but something has to change. Something – again, I don't want to go on a rant about Donald Trump or Frump or Trump. I've been writing about him lately, and I thought it would be therapeutic. I thought it would help because I read your column in the notes, and it's nothing but a feel-good thing that I always read. I want, whenever I want to feel good – I'm trying. I, I read it. And it feels good. I try to occasionally write big issues, and I and I I try not to let anybody know what I personally think. But I try to raise interest. I think, though, what we have to do is establish a market for the kind of programming that you're talking about. Educational programs. Somebody says uh, we're going to build a wall. Can we build a wall? What would it cost? How would that be done? It can't be done. Can it? You know those kinds of questions. But if people don't want to know the answers, how do you force people? To consume something, whether it's dietary, literally or figuratively, or, yeah. or instructional. You I know, don't know. I make it, make it interesting. But that's my – I would like for that, if I retire in two or three years, oh. I would like that to be my job. I'd like to have a, a, an, a, an information radio show. It's like they do uh, adulting classes. Emily, right. have you, you're too old for an adulting class now. But they have <laughs> classes for people 21 Adult. years old teaching them how to balance a checkbook. And it goes back to the – well. Have you taken all your adulting classes? Did you? I did not have to take any adulting classes. You were ready. I was ready. Okay. I can balance my checkbook. How do you feel about adulting classes? I am torn. Yeah. People should know those things, but at the same time, you shouldn't have to be told that you know those things. I think it goes back to where everybody had practical experience from having grown up in a rural environment, and they needed liberal arts in, in the school. They needed reading and writing and arithmetic. And calculus and well, here's my, here's my third plan. That now I we got to go the other way and teach them some practicality in oh, the schools. Okay, here's my third plan. Go by, ahead. The, by the way, we have Bill Green from Bill Green's Maine uh, here in the studio. We're creating Steve O University as you drive down the road, folks. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Well, this this will air tomorrow at eleven oh six. So all right. all, my audience is typically on their way to Home Depot to get light bulbs, or, or they're coming back from Lowe's with like a shovel or something. So See, and if you'd been to Stevo, you you wouldn't have had to have asked the guy at Lowe's, yeah, which one to get. You would know all kinds of details. So Bill Green suggested that we uh, we realign daylight savings to create uh, you know a, a better situation, more daylight in the summertime when we can really enjoy it. I Next agree. Hour I agree with that. August. I want to synchronize federal and state holidays like across that. the country so we have more uniform. Pro- Here's my third. Here's the third plank that we should we should right. both promote together. Patriot's Day is going to be on a Sunday. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah why not? So here's the third plank. Um, Maine has about 488 municipalities, 917,312 Wow. Uh, residents, 35,718 square miles. You've been to just about all of them as, as Bill Green's mate. So we graduate, I think, between eight and 10,000 seniors every year across the country, right? Okay. I look at, and we were just talking about media and politics, and I look at when each of us, and in our case it was a while ago, and Emily just a, a short while ago, when we turn 18, is it, it is a sacred passage. I look at it relative to our democracy and constitution because when you turn 18 here in Maine and across the United States, the day you turn 18, you are, you are given, you, you have earned by right of your citizenship the right to vote. I think it's a sacred thing. I that, think I think that it, exists now. It exists now. I know. It works that, perfectly. I, I haven't solved that. That, that okay. wasn't the problem I'm talking about. Okay. But I don't believe we as a society— in the broad sense, or mm-hmm. here in Maine, put enough focus on that transition. So when you're 17, 364 days old, yeah. and, you know, and you can't vote, that's one thing. But at midnight, on the night you turn 18, it's a big deal. And here is what I wanted to propose for uh, the state education here in Maine. That if we don't tell young people, and about 73% of Maine seniors when they're graduating would have the opportunity to vote either in a spring election for their municipality or in the fall, depending on uh, state races or federal yeah. races in the cycle, they would be able to vote within six months of graduating high school. We teach civics in most school systems in fourth and sixth grade. So by the time somebody gets to their senior year, many students out of that 10,000 that graduate don't know a referendum from a refrigerator. So we're not telling them how important the portal they're about to pass through. My suggestion, and this could be something that you could host on a video series, we take six one-hour sessions each spring, April and May. And, like, you know, we're recording this in Falmouth now. You live in Cumberland, I believe. I do. So in the Cumberland school system, the Falmouth systems, by the time you get to April and May, you're a senior – 95% 95% of them know if they're going to college, some join sure. the military, some sure. know they're working. So they're not studying really hard. So we take six hours over six weeks, an hour a week. Hour one, if you're in Falmouth, okay, we're going to have a videotape talking about how Falmouth municipality government works. How does property tax work? How does town council work? And you go, oh, that's interesting. Next week, Cumberland County. How does, the, how does probate work? Next week, state legislature. Next week, uh, state executive branch, how does it go? All the way to the federal. So after just six one-hour things, when we have young people getting ready to go through the portal yeah. of being able to vote, they feel more comfortable because young people only voted 13% of the time this year. I've got one even— I, I, Even better? Not even better. Oh, we're we're going to combine yours with mine. Let's do this. Like, we got to move Patriot's Day to a Saturday because the, the Boston Marathon should be on a Saturday. That makes sense. Um, we make physical education in our schools meaningful. So it's no longer throw a ball in the gym and we kick it around for an hour and then go back out all sweaty. We take the kids on a week-long canoeing trip. We teach them to read a map. We have them hike the Appalachian Trail in Maine. We have them do something else. So during, But to do this, you'd have to get them out of their traditional sports, get them out of their traditional classrooms. So maybe you do it their senior year. You give them a week of phys ed somewhere, and we make this part of their bus trip around Maine I with, love it. with canoe trips and hiking trips and I love it. Stuff like that. What do you think? I think the same thing I said. You know, in my case, I'm focusing on if we, if we, if we believe that civic engagement is important, 
we have to demonstrate in a very compelling way to young people at a very impressionable age it's important. And if we believe that physical activity in our environment is important, which is kind of the catalyst of what you were talking about, we need to say that. And it can't be a suggestion. It has to be, it has to be a compelling argument or a compelling opportunity. Because if we don't do that, then young people, you know, they either fall into a case of like indifference and then it gets harder to do things when you pass a certain point. We're going to need Emily's input on this because okay. Emily Kane did the thing, you know, Pollockman jumped on her about weighing kids and that was, well, right. we know that. I don't want to get into that. We don't want to do that. Blah, no. blah, blah, blah. But I think when you walk into high school your first day that your phys ed becomes a personal fitness program as well. And we, we teach kids about how you, how you gain weight, how you lose weight, how you get strong, how you get weak, how you eat. The whole personal fitness kind of thing that we need to live our whole lives. You know, by the time we gain ten pounds at age twenty-eight, not you, Emily, just me. No. Uh, we spend the rest of our life on a diet. Where I think we could manage that. That's your fitness plan in high school, and you don't have to weigh a certain amount when you graduate to get an A. But that's the information we give kids every week, and they're 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 constantly looking at their personal fitness plan, which is part of physical education. Get it? Yeah. What do you think, Emily? Is that a bad idea? Can we do that, or would? I don't think it's a bad idea, but I think it would definitely need to be tied into really revamping the school lunch system, too. I mean, there's been efforts for the past several years to really make it a more healthy option, but it's a financial struggle and a political struggle for whatever reason, but it it certainly needs to be tried back into that as well. Well, and maybe if we tied it into the curriculum and had the kids thinking about what they're eating and thinking about their weight and thinking about their strength and thinking about... You know, that kind of thing. Did you re- – this is a very inside thing you should never do, but you folks driving down the highway. Right. We, a couple of minutes ago, we had five minutes and 30 seconds to go, and then we had nine minutes to go. Did you it's change a, the clock? It's a time warp thing, Bill. Is it? It's so the it way okay. – yeah, here at Tide Smart Talk with Steve-O it's News Talk W. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, what we're trying to do is slowly uh, integrate your time savings plan I in, see. into okay. the show. Did that clock reset a few it minutes? It changed a few minutes okay. ago. It changed a few minutes. <laughs> minutes ago on the fly they, you know they don't allow uh you to do this at wcsh uh, uh, six here but we change time we cut out commercial breaks oh, we okay. just do things if you see me kind of brushing my nose okay. or pulling my that, that's ear that's not the steel sign no 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 it's oh, not okay. the steel emily's not going to dive into third base over okay. there what that means is let's cut out the next uh, commercial break because oh, okay. our talk with bill green is so compelling run the commercial steve this no, is no the three thousand dollars of airtime the commercial time it doesn't matter you and i are solving issues okay. here in maine it's, okay. it's not about you know economic gain or commercialism that's why we canceled look around you folks it looks better out there already doesn't it we we canceled all of the commercials just to cover more stuff oh. let me go back to my list here so by the way we'll, we'll never get this in go ahead you know, this will all get a hint um you have a, a unique perspective both in terms of being a lifelong mainer uh, educated in Bangor, born in Bangor. Yep. You spent your your life. Uh, it's it's a fascinating story about how uh, you know. No, you, it isn't. You, I'm you, another dumb no. clock that get up, and went to work every day for 44 years. No, it's, you worked in sports casting. Yep. You, you, you know, the first night you worked at the old station, uh, a cameraman on WLBZ two. Eddie yeah, Driscoll's boring. my backyard. It's fascinating. Yeah. You you were asked to stay late and run the camera, and before you know it, you become a broadcasting yeah. legend. That's uh, fa- I don't know that- before. Yeah, no. I from day one, I thought, boy, this is fun. It was exciting and yeah. you know, creative. Who wouldn't want to be in TV? Man, fun. Can I tell you something? I'm not going to mention his name, but I, I talked to one of the producers at Good Morning America just a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. and he, you know, and. And I, I don't even want to identify him. But so we're talking about in Good Morning America, like the Today Show, is one of the big morning shows, big production oh, yeah. value, big guests. Sure. Taylor Swift shows up, she sings, and Think all this, all the stuff happens. We were talking about the production of Good Morning. And this is I just had this conversation two days ago. Uh, I remember I don't know I don't know what you, you guys do at your studio there, but many of both locally and nationally, studios used to have three or four cameramen, camera women yeah. in the studio. Now they've kind of gone through computers yep. and their yep. robots and their robotic produ- cameras. We robotic, have nine of them. Yeah, so so yeah, they've taken people out of the equation. The job te- I started in doesn't exist anymore. I wouldn't have ever gotten a start if it were today. Right. And so so robotic cameras are the thing. It's about saving money. It's about mm-hmm. technology. 
this guy at Good Morning America told me that over the last couple of years, they've added technology into the studio. So it used to be, depending on a network show or a local show, you'd have up to 10 people. You'd have an audio person, you'd have a person on lights. And as you went to commercial breaks, you know, the director went, okay, fade camera three, bring in this. And then whenever you had package material, roll tape. And, and everyone just somebody had to run the tape downstairs. Somebody, right? yeah, now so, it's now it's just in a shared computer. He said their studio now only has a couple people because they queue it all up, yeah. and, and a director hits a space bar on a computer, and all the transitions are programmed, and all those people are gone. We can't even make a mistake. It's a computer. We had six or seven people all making mistakes, which was part of the fun of it. Now it's all programmed in eleven twenty eight fifteen. The you know the 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 automobile commercial is going to run. You know? I, I know. Adam Lee's going to be on there. You know. Oh, I, I'm a fan of Adam Lee. Yeah, I, good, I don't good guy. To, but his, his commercial is going at eleven twenty fifteen. Come on, Steve. Who's the next governor? Is wow. it Adam Lee? I saw him on that list they had in the Press Herald. He's one of the guys running. Is he really? Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know about running. They people say he's made overtures. The Press Herald did a story. Yeah, like Janet Mills, Adam, you didn't follow that. Okay. I didn't follow that. Was uh, Justin Alphonse on yeah, there? Yeah, you know, the usual suspects. The usual suspects. Yeah. yeah. How about, uh, God, it was Paula some... Quinn Collins, uh, the lady that runs human services. Right, right, right. You know, uh, on the Republican side, I can't remember. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I dabbled in running for governor. I know that. Yeah, and uh, and here I am. And we've had much worse. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and here I am in the studio. Uh, but part of the fun of being in the studio is you meet all these people, and right. they they either end up governor or they end up you know doing what we're doing. You know what I mean? They they you put a lot on the line when you go, when you do that. So I commend you for doing it. No, I appreciate you saying that. Probably the most interesting time I had in terms of public service was locally serving on the uh, the Yarmouth Town Council. Yeah, and you mixed it up there. Well. You, well it, but on, even on the local level, it's become very combative. So whether what people see on the national stage or on the state yeah. stage, well, even on the local level, everyone comes in, stands at the podium, which is a great part of our democracy. But everyone now has their own opinion. And many of those opinions, in, in my opinion, just aren't that informed. <laughs> they're, 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 they, aren't, really? they aren't born from like insight, understanding, or facts. Many times they're born from individual emotion or yeah. my tribe believes yeah. this or my tribe or political party believes this and, and we're losing kind of uh, you know n- very few of these things are anchored yeah. on common let's sense. let's talk about trump because i heard a really interesting quote about trump after it's all over and it said that the the media didn't take trump seriously but took what he said seriously the people of like ohio michigan you know that the, uh, right. uh they didn't take what Trump said seriously, but they took him seriously. Yeah, I think Corey, whatever his name is, his former manager, said that, you know, the Is that media, the woman, the blonde woman? No, that's Kellyanne. Oh, the guy that got, okay. They're all, yep. they're all interchangeable. I no, know, Jesus. Man, yeah, I know, but, but Corey said, yeah, I, 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 I'm paraphrasing, but he said that, you know, the media took him literally and the public took him based on the emotion. Was that and, who yeah. said it? Okay. Yeah. yeah, and it was like, but as a presidential candidate, there is no literally or figuratively when a person says something mm-hmm. and it, it has consequence. So if a person yeah, says, yeah, yeah. as Trump did last week, that, you know, three, th- three million people voted illegally, there is no literally. He, he made a statement. Right. A- and I don't know how 60 million people in America, <laughs> I don't know how 60 million people came to the conclusion that this person with the history and the yep. three wives and the four yep. bankruptcies and the yep. Billy Bush on the bus. That was Lane, a tough one. That yeah. was a tough one. Yeah. The and, three wives I don't seem to be as bothered by, but Billy Bush on the bus. Billy thinking, Bush oh on the And I want to say something on behalf of locker room talk, because I've been in a lot of locker rooms. That's not locker room talk. That's over the edge. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, locker room talk is spicy and body, but that's that was grotesque. It, it was grotesque. And when, when people say, oh, his words, uh, mm-hmm. and it weren't just words. He, he had connected words to previous acts. So either he's lying or mm. – I, I don't know. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm kind of afraid. 
I'm a little bit, and what I'm looking for here, we've got Bill Green in the, uh, in the I, studio. I, I'm looking for a little comfort because before you came into the studio, I was talking to my wife, who you've met at a couple of times, Katie. She may be your biggest fan. So well, she's a lovely all, all the person. letters and all the time, you, the person you see stalking you out by the parking lot <laughs> yeah, at Channel right. 6 is yeah. Katie because she loves your. She's like, I think this is her quote. She said, Bill Green is like Maine's comfort food. In, oh. in the in the broadcast sense, is they, they, she old enough to remember Bud Levitt up in Bangor? I don't. She grew up in Bangor, yeah. but I don't uh, know. He was a well-known outdoor writer, close right. friend of Ted Williams, right. and he was he was kind of my comfort food. He he did the stuff that I do, and I try to stay away from issues for just that reason. Mm-hmm. I want people to be able to relax on a Saturday night, watch, get informed, to be metaphorically taken somewhere. Sure. You know, I I don't want to, you know. Um, I don't do issues that much. I know. Just that, that reason. That's why you're here. So it's kind of Katie to say with, that. Well, she's kind. She she likes me too, which How I don't understand. That? You're yeah. a good. You, there I, must be some good. I there. don't know. I it, I met her 20 years ago, and if yeah. if not for uh, tequila, because uh, <laughs> we met at Rio Bravo Restaurant in Atlanta, then I I don't think I'd I'd be here yeah. today. That clock. Every time I think, okay, we've done well. This has been a good show, well, and then. I know. Emily resets it. We got five and a half more minutes here. I know because Emily, I don't know what's going on in the studio over there. I just am not ready for it to stop. That's all. Yeah, yeah it, we could be here two hours later if Emily right. gets her way. We've got a lot of stuff to cover. Right, Look I'm, at all I'm, the I'm notes. I've got I'm like four pages of stuff. Um, talk about where I mean, we 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 talk about the past. We talk about the you know kind of the recent election and the uh, the absolute terror that I'm feeling now for the next four See, years. See, I don't feel that, and I I I, okay. I didn't I didn't vote for Trump. I'll tell you that. Gotcha. But I you know everybody goes. I'm afraid. I, for some reason, I'm not afraid. I I don't know. I just stupidly naively believe in America. We'll go forward. He's already tempering things, and um, I'm you know I'm I just I'm not afraid. I, I don't know why, but I'm not afraid. Because okay. you believe in democracy. I believe in democracy, darn it. Well, I, I also happen to be a big fan of democracy. <laughs> I, I really, when you compare it to communism, I thought you he was compare against it, it to but... socialism, I think, yeah, when, yeah. You, when, you, when you line up all the different kind of organized uh, institutions of, uh, you know, of, of, of governance of people, I think democracy is one of the best. Here's why I'm afraid, and if you can help me with this, then we'll move on to the next subject before Emily moves the clock ahead. I'm afraid because... Many people looked at electing Donald Trump as we're electing a single person. And the reality is not only the 4,000 people or the dozen cabinet members, and then when you look at the different departments, all the people connected to whoever our our commander-in-chief permeates every area of the uh, executive branch of government. And if we have somebody in that role— it also affects the legislative branch of government because they can put the finger on the scale yep. of who's supported to be elected yep. and where the majorities yep. live. And in this particular case, where we are in, in this particular cycle, that person in this case will also have one, two, or possibly three appointments to the Supreme Court, yep. which they will uh, either have a great influence over, depending on what Congress and, and does. the thing I feel bad about there is the, um, the, uh, Obama should have gotten the last guy on. Right. And now it's the Republicans' turn. It should have been Merrick. Yeah. But Merrick, yeah. Okay. And, and what happened was it it, it was egregious, right. but not enough people cared. And so when, when the Republicans did the yeah. thing they did almost a year ago and said, uh, okay, when Scalia yeah. died, yeah. Uh, we're, gonna, we're, we're not going to even hold a hearing because we control the Judiciary Committee. Yeah. It was egregious. Yeah. And, and, it was. And my fear, too, is— You've got to play fair. But I'm independent. But my fear is that, uh, you know, my, my, my orientation is to be on the side of humanity and social issues more like Democratic principles. My fear is the Democrats are going to go to the same extreme point with Trump. Because but they don't Trump, have the congressional control that the Republicans have. They, ha- they don't, but they have the filibuster, yeah. which is one of the mechanisms that still exist. We're going to be down to like two people on the Supreme Court. Ruth Bader Ginsburg and John Roberts is probably the youngest, right? I, mean, I don't know. We only have two people on the Supreme Court. I think that whoever's on there now, people want to send them vitamins, make sure they're in good <laughs> health, send a yoga instructor to the, you know, just guys, no heavy yeah. lifting. That's right. Certainly don't go hunting with Dick Shaney. You yeah, don't want that kind of stuff. 
but I, I worry. Right. So let's let's uh, the other question I have is looking forward. Let's let's go beyond the scope of four years and the the catastrophe that Donald Trump is going to be, and let's talk in a broader sense. You've lived in Maine your whole life. You've seen in some ways Maine evolve and grow. But in some ways, one of the things that's unique about Maine is a kind of a provincial, parochial um, death grip on our past. And in some ways, it's great. We've yeah. got history. We have yeah. legacy. But it's not so great how. But it's not so great because we have 108 municipalities that are insolvent. Oh, yeah. And we have a rural economic system that for no no fault, whether it's the timber industry or So do you want to change the counties? We only got a minute and a half. You want to change counties? Yeah, we should We should do a couple things. We should consolidate counties, yeah. and we should, instead of just creating tax policy to sustain people yeah. in areas of rural Maine where there's tremendous pain or yeah. tremendous... Uh, they're they're locked in yeah. cycles of poverty. We should we should induce people and allow them to move into areas where there's better health care, better education, and better job opportunities. Because we can't deliver that to thirty five thousand yeah. miles. I'm, I call it modern counties. Our counties are based on ancient mm. political relationships that don't exist anymore. So they right. don't. No, we need modern yeah. counties. We need to. Uh, change them based on modern relationships. I mean, these long, skinny counties that we have in Piscataquis County, you know, linking the, the Canadian border with, you know, places, you know, like Augusta. Right. We've got to, we should change that. Uh, we well, need part a of lot it, of consolidation, I think. I'm less concerned about the the, the uh, geometry in terms of the long counties. Yeah. Well, they more, don't relate to each other. One part of the county doesn't relate to another. They they should be shared. Yeah. Mutual interests. I'm more focused on the physics, where the new economy is about sure. density, efficiency, time, right. and space. Right. And for every mile you put a person away from health care or right. a person away from education or by jobs – you're you're less efficient in in the new economy. You know, microchips are being developed every kind of like nanosecond that speed things up. So the world economy is about density and efficiency. Yeah. And what's happening is Maine is stuck in this old paradigm yeah. where we're slow and we're spread out, and people can't figure out why the economy is suffering, and so taxes keep going up, yeah. and then that stops new capital from coming in. And at some point, we need politicians to be honest with yeah. people and say, hey, um, like 170 years ago, when uh, in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or some other, you know, Tilton, Wyoming, when the gold mine ran our gold, you know, the hundred people there got together and said, hey, listen, we have no economy. We have to go move to Casper, Wyoming. Right. Nobody said, no, 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 stay. Everyone in Cheyenne's going to pay for us to live here in perpetuity. If you don't have an economic engine, right. then it's nobody's fault, but you've got to move where there's both an economic engine, healthcare, education. Oh, my jobs. God, Martha, he wants to close down Allagash. Uh, I was thinking Milo, <laughs> and, and I wrote a column saying oh, Milo's geez. again. I'm not going to drag you into the controversy We're Milo because because you're Bill Green, and wow. I don't want nobody in everyone in Maine loves Bill Green. But I wrote a column a couple of years ago where I said Milo shut down Milo. No, Milo's at the epicenter of the country, and they're near Dover Foxcroft, and they depended <laughs> on timber. But the ec- the economy in Milo is hurting. Right. And, and by any account, Every, there aren't new many, industries yep. and there aren't new things coming to Milo. What so are you going to make of, them new move to Portland? Or? No. I think we've got to change our tax policy so that we're not spending $10, 20000000 million every year artificially sustaining Milo. Most of that is spent in schools, though, right? Or half of that schools is spent in schools. Schools and infrastructure. So you're For saying— every mile of asphalt, every bridge, every DEP, EEP, EPA regulation, you, you have to put into a, a town to, to meet regulatory stuff. And we're doing it in communities with just hundreds of people. How do you solve that? I've got the plan right here. I, here's how I saw Quickly, it. you're down to 151 I, I unless she resets the clock. Well, we, we control the clock. So anyhow, here's how I solve it. Okay. I say to the people of Milo and the other 107 communities that are insolvent, hey, it's nobody's fault. It's not John Baldacci's fault. It, as much as I hate to say this, it's not Paula Page's fault. It's a new economy, textiles, timber, things have changed. But – Instead of us continuing to put tens of millions of dollars into a community that cannot generate capital itself, mm-hmm. over the next 10 years, the ratio of money that goes into Milo from outside sources is going to go down to a smaller level. Still, more money than anyone else is getting. In over 10 years, if you want to move to one of these other economic areas, we're going to give you a quarter of acre of land. We're going to give you a beautiful 
uh, structured house. And instead of being 30 miles away from healthcare, higher education, or anything, you're going to be three miles, you're going to be in Saco. You're going to wake up five miles from the center of Saco. You're going to have land grant. You're going to have a house. At first, I thought you you were suggesting that we starve them out by giving them less. But I mean, where's this land going to come from? Oh, because one thing we have in Maine is like a ton of land. So we're not going to do it in the center circle. We're going to do it in an outer circle so it doesn't affect property values. And nobody wants to st- – when I wrote this column, people – Pick the place because I'm having trouble wrapping my mind okay. around it. So, okay, we pick Saco. Saco is a lovely place. All right, so we're going to move – So in the first ring of Saco, which is a five-mile ring, okay. people have already invested in business and yep. housing. Yep. So those people shouldn't be penalized. The second ring is growth. The third ring, which which is within fifty miles of Saco. Yeah, Steve is kind of growing, drawing a target on a piece of paper there. I see it. Yeah. yeah. So this outer ring, yeah, there are thousands of acres of land in this one economic zone. But we could, you know, in the in the issue is if someone lives in Cumberland County, without mentioning specific communities. For every dollar they put into the state budget, they only get about 20 cents back. Like, I'll use you, Cumberland. Okay. Yeah. So for every dollar Bill Green puts in the state budget. You put a lot of those in. I know you do because yeah. you're Bill Green. No. You no, only no. get about 20 cents yeah. back yeah. relative to services. Yeah. And that's the way it should be. You know, some you know more prosperous communities should yep. give more. Same thing with states. Mississippi gives less. Others, Massachusetts gives more. Same thing with countries. The United States helps supports underdeveloped countries. It's a human principle, right? So here in Maine, if you live in you know the beautiful community you live in, you put a dollar into the pot, you get about twenty cents of services back. If you're in Milo and you put a dollar in the pot, you get about twenty dollars back. And much of that money comes from these other places. So I'm not saying we penalize the people of Milo. Right. I'm saying we don't penalize the people in Cumberland County. You go, hey, the people of Milo just don't want to leave. Right. And it's like that's their choice. So, but over 10 so years, over 10 years we, we would... drop it from 20 to 1 to 10 to 1, which is still the highest threshold. And over 10 years, we say to the people, you have a chance to pick up a quarter of acre here. And if you do that, because maybe your kid is a sophomore in high school and you want to play it out for three years, stay for three years. Mm-hmm. But at some point within this 10 years, and when we get to the end of 10 years, anyone in Maine can live anywhere they want, but they don't have the right to impose an economic system that burdens the rest of the state. That can't go on in perpetuity because we're not helping these people. We're trapping them in a cycle of poverty that's multi-generational. We've got to change it. It's a fascinating idea, especially if you're looking for a graduate degree. But when it comes down to it, your social engineering and the other side is going to win the political argument. If this was China and somebody said, you're Chairman Mao, (laughs) I would agree. But it's not social engineering. It's basic economics. I'm saying that if Maine only has 1.3 million people, right? When in Japan, a nuclear reactor melts down, Mm -hmm. 200,000 people wake up one day and the government says, hey, we've got nuclear fallout. You all have to move. We have a natural disaster happening in Maine, only it's economic. It's not nuclear. We have to go to about 200,000 people and go, hey, nobody's fault. But this isn't changing. And everyone who's hoping the Internet's going to bring a Microsoft plant to Milo is not going to happen. Because if you work at Microsoft... You want to be near a different system. You want to be able to go to a Panera. You want to go to a comedy club, a concert place. You need infrastructure. So if we don't affirmatively go to 108 communities and say, hey, we love you and you can stay as long as you want, but instead of getting 20 to 1 for every dollar you put in, it's going to go down to 10 to 1 or 5 to 1. So you're still going to get more money than you're putting in. But if you can't generate an economy, the rest of the state can't be burdened. Fascinating. Steve Woods, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us today on WLLB. We're out of time. The clock ran down. You're a broadcaster. I am. It's a well-thought-out project. We're going to talk about this more. Thank you so much for coming by. My pleasure. It's always fun to talk to you. Thank you so much. This has been our talk with Bill Green, and uh, you've been listening to News Talk WLLB, 13, 10 a.m., 100.5. We'll be back next week. Thanks. Thanks.